This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome. Listen, do you ever see a book that's on a topic that you love and that you think about all the time? And you're like, wow, somebody wrote an entire book on this topic. I have to talk to them. Does anybody else think that or is that just me? Being a mom that creates content on social media has really opened my eyes to toxic positivity. It's not something I ever really thought about before. And then, you know, the whole thing around motherhood is like, it's just made to be this magical, and it is, don't get me wrong, but that's all we are shown. At least, like it's changing now, and I talk about that a little bit in this episode, how it is changing, but you know, it's like you should be enjoying everything and it's so blissful and hashtag blessed and pregnancy is beautiful and labor and delivery is the best day of your life. And it's just the whole culture around pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum and motherhood is really, you know, it doesn't allow moms to talk about struggles or if they do, they feel like they're the only ones. And so everyone just stays quiet and only shares the positive. Yeah. And then there's the struggle Olympics, which is like, you can't complain unless you absolutely have it the worst. And people leave comments like, well, at least your husband does this, or at least you, you know, can do that. And I'm in this situation and it's always like this big competition. And so these are all things that Whitney Goodman touches on in her book, Toxic Positivity. So Whitney Goodman is the radically honest psychotherapist behind the hugely popular Instagram account, Sit With Wit. If you don't already follow her, please do. She shares incredibly valuable information, the kind of information that really makes you think. And she's not afraid to talk about things that maybe will make some people uncomfortable comfortable. Like for example, the whole idea surrounding toxic positivity, that is how her account went viral. She, you know, started noticing this trend with her clients and her practice. And she made a post about toxic positivity and it just went viral because, you know, in a time where we just want to push negative feelings away and we feel like, oh, just be positive is the answer to everything. She kind of went against that and, you know, posted something that at the time might have been a little bit controversial. And now we are all noticing toxic positivity in our own lives and on social media, especially. Whitney Goodman has been featured on Good Morning America in the New York Times, Psychology Today, which I love that magazine. It is so valuable. And also Elle. She believes that when people understand their emotions, they can take control of their life. And that is something that I 100% agree with. I really enjoyed my conversation with Whitney and I hope that you guys enjoyed listening to it. So without further ado, please welcome Whitney Goodman to the Mom Room Podcast. All right. So to start, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, because you have a young son, right? 
I do. I do. I have a nine month old. Okay. So really young. So yeah. Tell us about your family and also your career. Yeah. So I'm Winnie Goodman. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Florida. Like I just mentioned, I also recently became a mom nine months ago and I wrote uh, my book, Toxic Positivity, while I was pregnant. It was published, I think, like when my son was a couple of months old. So it's been quite a whirlwind of a time lately. I was curious if your book came out before or after Do you feel like now being a mom, you could write a whole version of that book (laughs) just about motherhood? Yeah, you know, it was, I was kind of grateful to put a positive spin on it, to be writing it while I was pregnant, because that was one of the first times in my life where I was like, oh my gosh, this is rampant. Like people will not stop telling me how grateful I should be, how positive I should be, that it gave me a lot of material. And then after my child was born, I was like, oh gosh, I'm pissed. I don't still have access to that manuscript. <laughs> and it's yeah. already been turned in. So as I was saying before I hit record, I heard you on another podcast and just the things that you were talking about, I was like, oh my God, I need this book. So then I get the book and I start reading it. And it's like everything that you talk about could be just applied to motherhood specifically if you just like tweaked it a little bit. So what was your transition? I ask everybody this that has children. What was your transition like going from not having kids to becoming a mom? You know, it was pretty rough, I gotta say. Like, I was somebody who was like pretty established in their career when I got pregnant. I I kind of had this like arrogance, I think, looking back of like, I'm going to be fine at this. And like, I prepared a lot with the stuff, but not really mentally. And then when it arrived, I was like, wow, I don't think anyone told me how much my life was going to change in this difficult way. You know, people tell you, oh, your life will change. Your heart's going to burst open, all these things. But for me, it was like, how do I fit my old life in with my new life? And how do I make this all work together? Like timing and sleep and all that stuff was really difficult for me. I had our son during my PhD program. So I took a full year off, but I had him, we were both 34, 35 when we had him. And so I had already lived this whole life as like an adult that didn't have kids. And so it is hard to make that transition to like, you're used to living by yourself, like, you know, having your own schedule, doing what you want to do when you want to do it. And now you like answer to this little human. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, it's so true that I think the more established you are, you know, there's pros and cons to both when you have kids in life, but I felt that for sure as well. Okay. So toxic positivity, not everyone probably knows what this is. So can you kind of explain why you started to think about this topic and ultimately write a book about toxic positivity. Like, where did that come from? So it was definitely this phenomenon that I think I had just experienced throughout my life. It's it's a huge part of American culture, right? The pursuit of happiness, needing to be happy. And as I became a therapist, I noticed... My clients were always saying, like, I know I shouldn't complain, but, or like, I need to be grateful or whatever it was. And I noticed it all over Instagram and online too, that I started to just like really research it 
think about it in like a really just, I don't know, mundane way. And then I wrote this post that was two columns, toxic positivity in one side and validation on the other. And that was really my first post that like went anywhere on Instagram. I think I had like 2000 followers at the time. And a lot of people were saying, you know, I've been looking for a word for this, or I've been trying to figure out what this is. I felt it my whole life. And that to me was like, okay, there's something here that we're all feeling and we're not talking about, which means we really need to talk about it. Is toxic positivity like an academic, is that like a legit term? Not to my knowledge. I mean, it was just something that I used on this post. And since then, it's kind of blown up, but I can't find any prior usage of it before what I posted on Instagram. One day I mentioned the word default parent, And I had heard it before, but it's interesting when people feel a certain way and they know that something's going on, but there's no label for it. And so whenever I talk about like the default parent and what that means and what it feels like and the problems associated with it, people are like, oh my God, I never like knew what to call it. So it's almost like validating just to have a label for something like that. Whenever I think of toxic positivity, I think of social media instantly. Do you think social media has contributed to toxic positivity just in our culture in general? Absolutely. I mean, I think we can we see this trajectory for toxic positivity like throughout history and it's shape-shifted in so many ways. And so now, of course, it's showing up in wellness culture on social media, you know, from leaders, influencers, things like that that I think happiness, the pursuit of happiness, all of that is a really easy sell. And we know, you know, you know from being on social media that these short little like lines that apply to everyone are typically the things that sell the most. But they also end up making us feel so bad about ourselves. Yeah. So can you talk about that a little bit? Like, I remember reading something in your book, you were saying how you see these positive messages. You're right. It's always like these short little like one-liners. So as someone that is not in a good place or that is down or struggling through something, what's it like for them to see those messages? Like ultimately, what is that message doing? It's extremely dismissive. It's minimizing, of course. And the way it always sounds to me is like, here's a very simple solution for your extremely complex problem that I know nothing about. So telling people, you know, who are depressed, you know, just smile, just be happy, just get outside, go on a walk. Like, it's like, do you think I haven't tried that already? And I think it makes people feel very misunderstood like it's their fault. Like you can easily fix this. So, you know, you're the one that's basically deciding to be depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And like, why haven't you fixed it by now? Come on. So easy. So why do you think our culture is obsessed with being happy? I feel like throughout time, we've just kind of been sold this idea that that's the best default. That's the place where you're going to feel good and relaxed. And it's sort of like this state of like nirvana you're going to get to where everything is going to be great. And it's also a way to sell things. I talk about this idea of like happiness scripts in the book of like, if you get married, you'll be happy. If you have a baby, you'll be happy. That it's a good way to kind of keep people on track doing the things that we want them to do if we sell them the promise of happiness. And oftentimes, 
like we were just talking about journey into motherhood, you get there and you're like, wait, this is really complicated. It's, it's happiness and it's joy, but it's also really hard. I talk about difficulties in motherhood and parenting all the time online. And you always get the comments like, well, maybe you shouldn't have had kids. And it's like, so unless you're happy all the time, like who's told us that parenting is going to be this joyous occasion 24-7? Like it's not. So like my husband's a physician. If he complained about something at work that's difficult that he's struggling with, people wouldn't be like, well, maybe you shouldn't be, you know, a doctor. <laughs> Why do moms get that message so often? So I, I love the way you respond to these comments online, by the way, <laughs> you do these videos. And I think it's amazing. I feel like people do have this notion that if you're not grateful for every part of motherhood, you're somehow like a monster. And I, a lot of that I think has to do with like some level of amnesia. Like even hearing my own mom talk about motherhood is in this very idyllic like way that I don't think she's remembering it exactly how it went. You know, it's those rose colored glasses that the older generation kind of has. And that's where I think most young moms are getting it from is people that are really either never done it, don't know what it's like to be a stay at home parent or a parent, or people who are so far removed that they kind of remember it differently. I ask my mom all the time. So she had three kids. My dad, when we were all really little, worked outside of the country for like six months at a time. And I'm like, mom, like, how did you like, because I talked to her about all these different things like mom guilt and like the mental load and struggles that like my husband and I have just because he has a demanding job. But like my dad was out of the country. And I'm like, mom, how did you do that? She's like, honestly, I think I just like blacked out my entire life. Yeah, you have to. Because I'm thinking yeah. about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have help. And you know, my husband's yes. working, but he's here. <laughs> like, And I could not do that. No, thank you. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed.
This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. I wanted to ask you this because I tend to mentally go to this space anytime I experience something difficult or like a friend is experiencing something difficult. I always think about people that are in a worse situation. And I'm like, is that part of toxic positivity? Because, you know, if my friend is struggling with something, but you know, she has like family support, she has a really good like marriage. I'm always like, oh my God, imagine the people that have the same like struggle But now they have a shitty partner, they fight with their husband all the time, they don't have supportive parents. Is that part of toxic positivity or is that like over empathy or something? So yes and no, I think it can be part of toxic positivity. Perspective is great. And sometimes it can be really helpful to use that to give yourself or someone else who's open to it perspective. I think when it becomes toxic positivity is when you're using it as a way to dismiss someone or yourself of what you're feeling. So it's, it's sort of that argument of like, well, I can't be upset that like something's broken in my house because some people don't even have houses or I can't be upset about this because there's people starving. And the brain really only knows what it knows, right? Like you can sort of empathize and understand that, but it's not going to take away the feeling of like, this is frustrating and it's hard for me. So the best way to kind of do that is to allow yourself to feel the feeling, to validate it, empathize with it. And then once you've gotten to the other side, say, try to find some maybe gratitude in the moment of like, gosh, I'm so glad that I was able, you know, to hire that repairman to help me, or I'm so glad that my kids are safe, whatever it is. But the timing, I think, is what's so important there and how it's being used. As long as you're not doing it to dismiss, you know, you still want to validate what someone else is going through, what you're going through, which also reminds me of anything on social media that you talk about that is difficult in motherhood. It's like people have this 
idea that unless you have it the absolute worst, like you can't say anything. So if I talk about something that's difficult, maybe it's like mom guilt or I had a difficult whatever situation. It's like, don't you only have one kid? I do only have one kid. (laughs) And it's like, I've heard people call it the struggle Olympics. Like who has it the worst? I don't know why all these things are so common in mom culture. And I often wonder if for some reason, mom to mom, like we lack empathy when we look at another mom. Like we're instantly defensive we don't consider what she's going through. Like we evaluate like, oh, she's giving her kid juice, like instant evaluation. Why do we do this? You know, it's so interesting. I I find this to be true a lot. And I feel like it's because we're so afraid that we're like not allowed to be upset ourselves or we're not allowed to be struggling. It seems to me like everyone's on edge and I get why they are, that it's sort of like, I can't extend empathy to myself. So then I certainly can't extend it to you. And I know that feeling of being like, of being a mom and feeling like people are judging you for like so many different things. Like if you're working, you're judged. If you're not working, if you're dressed up, if you're not dressed up, if you have help, if you don't, like you literally sometimes feel like you cannot win. That is very accurate. I wanted to talk about some of the common comments or sayings that people say to parents. So maybe you shouldn't have had kids then. So I get this all the time. So why do you think mothers are not allowed to complain? I think women are not really allowed to complain in general. Like there's really this pressure of like, you know, be grateful for what you have. You asked for this sort of, if like you're working and you want to have a kid of like, Oh, you want it to be equal or you wanted to have this. And I, I think that's applied a lot to motherhood. It's like, just, just make it work and kind of shut up and smile is like always the message. Yeah. I also think it's very interesting to me when I post something, it's always on TikTok, And then I get comments from men who are trying to just like shut down the fact that, you know, staying home with kids is difficult. And I'm like, why? Like, why can't you just be receptive to this and be like, oh, wow, like it must be really difficult. They just want it like shut it down right away with, you know, a little one liner. And I'm like, so those are usually the people that I respond to. But then you have people like my husband who during quarantine... I was experiencing like all of this stuff, like being home, stuck at home. He was still out of the house working and he's very receptive to that conversation and understanding that it is difficult. And some people just, they don't want to hear that other people might be doing hard work if it's not what they're doing. It's like, cause then they don't have to help out. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. And I hadn't really thought about that. Like, it's so bizarre because I I know my husband and I both work and we both spent full days with our child and have both said going to work is 100% easier than staying home with the kid. It's just the reality, especially if you're doing it all day, every day with no breaks. I'm hard pressed to find anybody that wouldn't agree with that. I know, and it's not even... 
Because I always get the comment like, oh yeah, try like working underground for a 12 hour shift, like manual labor. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like (laughs) I understand that that's physically demanding. Staying home with kids is like mind numbing, lonely, boring, but at the same time, exhausting, like physically and mentally. It's so hard to explain and you can't explain it to someone who has never done it. So I feel like during the pandemic, because so many parents who typically work outside the home were stuck at home with little kids. (laughs) Now they're like, oh shit. (laughs) Yeah. I see stay at home, like full-time stay at home moms. And I'm like, my hat is off to you. I respect you endlessly because my personality, it's hard for me. Like I need an outlet. Okay, another common thing that people like to say to parents is to enjoy every moment. So what are your thoughts on that comment? Yeah, I think that this is a well-intentioned, sweet thing to say, but it becomes toxic positivity when it's used in moments where people are complaining or they're struggling, and that's usually when I hear it, right? And I think it just puts this immense pressure on parents like we already have this feeling that time is slipping away right and you're not present enough but it also tells you like every moment should be good and you should be enjoying all of it and you're not allowed to get upset or be annoyed because kids are such a gift and it's all so beautiful (laughs) it's just an unrealistic expectation to set for parents I think and I feel like often this expectation is exacerbated by social media because it's getting better now, especially with TikTok, because people are like, look, this is what parenting is. (laughs) It's like chaos, which is great because before that it was Pinterest and Instagram where everything looks perfect. Everyone's hashtag blessed. And so you're now pregnant, you have a baby and you're like, oh, that's not my experience. Like what's wrong with me? And so Something that would kind of battle toxic positivity is just people being honest and able to voice, you know, difficult things in motherhood. Totally. And and people just saying like, oh, that sounds hard or like that's difficult or sharing a story that was crazy from their day. Like I see these videos on TikTok and I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes me feel so much better just to see that other people's houses are a little chaotic or whatever it is that day. I always think about too, like the day you give birth, it's so like people are so focused on that and it's so misrepresented in like movies and on TV and, you know, so many people are like, it's the most beautiful day in the world and, you know, so magical. And then you go to give birth and you're like, what? Like, why did people say this? It's so true. It's so true. (laughs) So something else, apparently I hear all these comments all the time. Whenever I talk about like difficulties of being a mom, people will say, be grateful that you're able to have children. Or I always get comments like, you know, you shouldn't be complaining. Some people are struggling to conceive, which is a huge problem. And obviously, you know, I feel my sister struggled for years. So I get that. But At the same time, I don't think that is a reason that we shouldn't be able to talk about how difficult being a mom is. So 
thoughts on that comment? Yeah, I think this is one of the most like egregious forms of toxic positivity when it comes to moms or people who are trying to become parents. I find that the pressure to be positive is so high on people who adopted, did IVF, or took a long time to conceive, whatever it is, that it's like, oh, you worked so hard for this, you asked for it, so now you better be happy and smile and be grateful all the time. And the example that you're bringing up of like, that's like using someone else's difficulty or misfortune as the foundation for your gratitude. And I find that to be really a poor way to form true gratitude. It actually just brings more shame and guilt up for people than anything. Mm, I never looked at it that way, but yeah, that's a great way to put it. Because my sister struggled so much with becoming pregnant. She's now due in June. So yay. But that was my biggest thing. I was like, I really hope that, you know, she struggled for years. They did multiple rounds of IVF, like miscarriages, everything. Like, I really hope that when she is, you know, in the early days of postpartum, when everything is really difficult or she has a bad, you know, week or something that she doesn't feel like she can't say anything or like she can't be open about having struggles or being down or, you know, mom rage, like whatever, all the things that everyone goes through because of exactly what you just said. Like I tried so hard to have this baby. So now I should just be happy, but it's not, that's impossible. It's hard no matter what path you took. Okay. So something else that is so common is And it's usually from, like you were saying, older generation. I make a video, I'm at home for the day with Milo, Milo's sick. And then you get comments from people who are like, well, I had three kids at home with me and I was fine. Like you shouldn't have a problem because I didn't have a problem. Yeah, that one is particularly damaging. And I I think it's important that we remember that we all struggle with different things and we're all under... Different levels of pressure, especially different generations. You know, I don't think our parents knew what it was like to be a parent with social media and the internet and all this. I mean, we just have pandemics and all these other levels of threat that I know for us, like, really didn't exist in like a pre September 11th world in the US. Like, we just didn't think about things like this. It's a lot. And so, when you say that, it's sort of like, you're just comparing apples to oranges. You don't know what someone's going through. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume 
consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. If somebody, like if they have someone in their life, whether it be a good friend or their partner who is very like, you know, uses toxic positivity a lot to dismiss maybe issues that they're having, how does someone even bring up that subject to them? I think it's our responsibility to teach people how to be helpful to us, especially when they're receptive and open to it. So a couple of ways you can do that is, First, telling them like, hey, I know you're really trying to help or validating that they're trying to be kind and saying that's just not really helpful for me or I would appreciate it if you could support me in XYZ way and giving different suggestions. There also might be some people in your life who you're like, you know what, the labor of changing this person or teaching them is not something I want to take on. So you maybe stop going to them with these types of complaints or issues, or maybe when they say something to you, you just like think in your head, like, Oh, there's the toxic positivity again. And you just say, thanks so much and move on or change the subject. Can you explain what helpful positivity would look like? Yeah. Helpful positivity really makes room for reality and also optimism or or what could be. And so thinking about like, how can I validate exactly what's happening right now? What's hard for me? What's neutral? And then also look at what do I have access to? What might I be optimistic about? What seems like it could change or has the potential to change? Like, do you see clients who are patients? I'm not sure what you refer to them as. Do you like bring this up with them often? Like, do you find people are toxically positive to their self? Like, Is that a common thing? All the time. And I think that was one of the first places I really noticed the phenomenon like strongly was people constantly telling themselves like, I know I should be happy. I know I shouldn't complain. I know I need to be grateful as this like precursor to telling me something hard in their life. And as a therapist, I'm like, this is your space to vent, to complain, to talk about that stuff that if you're saying that to me, I can't even imagine the level of pressure that you feel to maintain that outside of this container. Yeah. And do you have an idea of where it comes from? Like if, is it something that's passed down from parents? Is it just culturally we're like that? Like we learn it 
in school? Like, where does this come from for people? I think like most things, it's passed down in several ways, right? So some of it is from our parents seeing what they do. It's cultural where there's certain norms or expectations in the culture. I think a lot of it is also coming from religion, from other types of practices that people are engaged in schools and where you live, you know, plays a huge part in that. There's so many areas where it gets reinforced. We talked about social media as well, that I think we're constantly just getting bombarded with these messages in different ways. Do you think there's a lack of empathy or do you think, like if I'm a person who, when my friend comes to me with a problem and I am dismissive and use toxic positivity, do you think it's a lack of empathy or do you think it's that we're uncomfortable being uncomfortable and so we just want to shut it down? I think it's more of the second one. You know, we're uncomfortable. We don't know what to do. We want to fix things. There are, of course, people who are using toxic positivity more in like a gaslighting sense and trying to systematically deny people's existence or their feelings. But a lot of it to me is just robotic. It's like, we don't know what to do. We're uncomfortable. We think that's the right thing. And so we just keep repeating it. Can you explain what gaslighting is? (laughs) Yeah. So gaslighting is like the latest buzzword, I feel like, but it's really the systematic and like routine denying of someone's reality. It's a manipulation tactic. It's used a lot in abusive relationships. And I talk about how toxic positivity can kind of move into gaslighting when we're constantly telling people like, that's not true. That didn't happen that way. You shouldn't feel that way. But that's going to be more on the extreme end of things. It's not really like just telling someone like, just be happy or whatever it is. Do you see parents using toxic positivity to their kids? Because I often think even like as young as, you know, toddlers, it's hard for us to look at our toddlers problems and like treat them as real problems. Like sometimes Milo's freaking out because he can't bring his electric Spider-Man into the tub. You know what I mean? But I always try and treat it like that's his best friend and he doesn't want to let go of him. Like this is a big deal to him. So do you think that that is a common thing where parents are kind of dismissive to their kids, like from toddlers, let's say to teenagers, because to them, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I would say that's one of the biggest issues that I deal with in my practice is adult kids. You know, I work with a lot of like 25 to 35 year olds who are dealing with the repercussions of their parents constantly telling them that they were dramatic, that it wasn't a big deal, not to cry. And the way we see this manifesting in adulthood is a lot of these kids don't know how to feel their feelings. They don't know how to talk about them. They don't know if anything they're feeling is legitimate. That I think a lot of parents in their quest to keep their kids happy or actually just teaching them how to like be numb and dismissive to themselves. Can you explain just briefly? I know in your book, you were talking about how like being a human is a lot of different things, like a lot of different feelings, a lot of different emotions, but we're so hyper-focused on only wanting to experience happiness and to be happy. So Can you explain just how important it is to feel the range of feelings and 
maybe sit with yourself when you're down and try and understand what's going on. I think from a young age, we're taught that happiness, like we've talked about this whole conversation, is like the ultimate place to get to. And what I hope people understand from my work in this book is that every emotion has some type of utility, meaning, um, importance in our life if we want to look deeper at it and see what it's about. And they're all kind of on an even playing field. I think we've moved happiness up to like this more important rung. And I want to encourage people to think about like, what do I learn from sadness, from pain, from joy, discomfort, and like the relationships in your life that are very close. It's probably because you've been through something difficult with those people. The meaningful experiences in our life are usually complicated. They're not all good. There's also bad or pain along with those things that when we can learn to integrate all those emotions, sit with them, experience them. I find life becomes a lot more interesting, enjoyable, and it also becomes easier because you're not trying to like shove all this stuff away that's constantly seeping out. I feel like that explanation you just gave is literally motherhood. It's like the absolute best, but it's also the absolute hardest. It's like ups, it's downs, it's like crying, it's it's everything. And that is probably why we, you know, at the end, when our children are older, we're like, wow, that was the best thing ever. Because it's all these things. Exactly, exactly. And you, you derive so much meaning from all those things. It's such an important part of your life that I think, yeah, some of it's you forgetting how hard it was, but it's also that sense of accomplishment, that sense of meaning that makes it like, I know when you talk to those parents, like I would do it all over again. And even in my hardest days, I feel like that sometimes too. And that's such a confusing feeling, right? Of like, I am so tired. I hated all that, but I'd do it again. Yeah. What is wrong with us? Oh my God. Okay. This was such a great conversation. So where can people find you online? I love your Instagram account. So yeah, tell us that. Tell us where they can get the book. And then also if they were to read the book, like what are they getting out of it? Sure. So you can find me on social media, TikTok, Instagram, um, at sitwithwit. And my website is sitwithwit.com. You can get my book, Toxic Positivity, anywhere books are sold or through my website. And I think if you're reading the book, I hope that you just feel a lot of validation, especially if happiness has been difficult for you and that you're going to learn different tangible skills, right? How to feel an emotion, how to complain effectively and different ways that you can support yourself and other people that are going through a hard time, whether it's motherhood, pregnancy, etc. And I know you have a nine month old son, but do you have anything that you're working on now? Any ideas for future projects? Yeah, I'm about to launch a new newsletter on Substack that's going to be really taking you on a journey with like a couple of different therapy characters that are in therapy. So it'll read more like a book, but also come with different worksheets for issues like body positivity, diet culture, stress, all of that. So you can find that through my website as well. And it's called Good Enough. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This was great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 